Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll begin reading here in the first verse of Nehemiah. We got a little background for you here. The people of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, they've been in a terrible condition, and they are here at this point. 150 years before this passage, we find here in Scripture, Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon invaded Israel, and they carried many people away captive. And at this point in the history of Israel, some have returned to rebuilding the city, but they weren't accomplishing very much. We've had several messages along this same timeline. And there's no security, the walls of Jerusalem were not built, the enemies had come, everything they tried to do, they were opposed. And the Jews and the children of Israel, they desperately needed someone to lead them back to their former glory. They needed someone who was different, they needed someone who was going to uh, step up. If anything was going to happen for them, someone needed to lead them. And in this book, God called Nehemiah to do just that. And we find here, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. The call of Nehemiah and his life. And it says there, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now. A day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, Though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and I will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are the servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, Thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. I want to preach to you this morning, from this chapter here in Nehemiah, and the call on Nehemiah's life, how much do you care? How much do you care? Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be here today. God, I don't take lightly... Lord, the call to preach in my life and the position you've given me as pastor of this church, God, to preach your word and, God, the message that you have for us this morning. And, God, in this month of prayer and fasting, I know this is what you have for us. God, I pray that you'd help us today to listen and help me today to preach clearly what you have for me to preach. Lord, guide us, work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When we were first married... 
I learned quickly that the words, I don't care, really don't mean I don't care. We'd be on our way home from church as a newly married couple, and we'd be looking to go somewhere to eat after, after church, and I would say, where do you want to eat? And my wife would say, I don't care. So I would say, okay, well, let's go here, and I would start driving to this place, and we'd get there, and I would see that's not what she wanted. So I'd, I'd maybe think of another place, and are we really, I didn't have a smartphone at the time, and, and I remember thinking of different places, or remembering what exit we're on and what's there, or maybe we just start driving till we find something, and, and she said, I don't care, but that place wasn't good, or this place wasn't good, and, and this place wasn't good, and finally, I, we find the place. I think many have experienced something similar to that. And as we live our lives... I would say all of us care about certain things. All of us care about many things. Some of us care about certain things more than other things. And our degree of of care varies between certain categories. Our degree of care varies, you know, between God and and church or our, our degree of care for family or our amount of care for work or our job, our career or politics what kind of foods we like, what kind of restaurants we want to eat at, what kind of hobbies we may have, or we care about what's going on in the world around us. You know, God created us to be caring individuals. And if you're a Christian, it is important for you to care about the things that God cares about. This morning, we're thousands of years removed from the time of Nehemiah. We also live in a nation that desperately needs people, in particular Christians, that care. We live in a society where the morality and virtue, the walls have been torn down on those things. We need to be a church today that that cares about people. And we don't need to be a church that cares about church or cares about our own families. We need to be care about the world and then be driven to action because of how much we care. We first of all see the need here in this passage. As we we begin this account of history that's recorded in the Word of God for us, Nehemiah had a brother named Hanani that came to visit him. And as Hanani came to visit Nehemiah, as he traveled to him, they're excited to see each other. And Nehemiah asked Hanani about the state of the Jews who escaped captivity. I would imagine they were no doubt thrilled to see each other and to just small talk. And Nehemiah possibly expected to hear great reports. I mean, he's there in, in captivity and the Jews, they, they, some of the Jews are there in, in Israel, there in Jerusalem. And, and no doubt they're living it up. They're getting things back on track. They're, they're getting their houses back. They're building the temple. Good things are happening. Possibly Nehemiah was expecting a good answer. But as he asked Hanani, Hanani told him the true condition. And he gave him something that moved his heart. We look there in verse 3. It says, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. That doesn't sound too good to me. If that was a state of the city that I lived in or the state of a, a place of people that I cared about, that would move me. That would bring me to a point of concern. And he first of all listed the affliction that the people, the children of Israel, God's chosen people were facing. They were in great affliction. And that word is, is, is saying that they were, had some sort of physical or emotional pain. Life wasn't easy. The children of Israel were not living in 
good times. And it's the same affliction that we would find Naomi referencing as she spoke to Ruth in Ruth chapter 1. She said, I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. When they call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. She was facing affliction. It's a physical, a spiritual pain, and that's what the children of Israel were feeling at this moment in history. Nothing that they had was what they wanted it to be. And the more they they looked at it, the more they went about town, the more they tried to do something about it, the more they heard and the more pain that they felt. There was this emotional discouragement from this physical danger and opposition that was all around them. They were facing affliction. But he also says reproach. They were hurting emotionally, they were hurting physically, but then they were disgraced or embarrassed because of the state of their city. It was bringing them to just looking all about them. There was really no hope. They were discouraged. They, the temple had been somewhat rebuilt. There was no wall. The city was in ruins. The gates are on fire. They were just getting by. Not too long ago, we preached out of the book of Haggai, and we looked at how the people had been begun to focus on their own houses and the temple just lay there in ruins or just a foundation. There was no true worship of God at that point. And he also references the disrepair. As we see Nehemiah there in verse 4, he hadn't heard this news before. He knew the Jews went back, Ezra led a group of them uh, back to Jerusalem and they began to rebuild the temple, but from this letter from Artaxerxes, the same king that allowed them to go, they were ordered to stop rebuilding. They were attacked, and what they had begun had been torn down and burned by the enemies around them. It's a great picture of the spiritual condition of the Jews here at this point. As much as they tried to rebuild, opposition was there. They saw a mess. They saw what they saw, and the the condition of everything was beyond repair and had no hope. They had broken hearts. They were in trouble. There may be someone in here this morning, as you look at these descriptions and the things the children of Israel were feeling, you may feel those same things in your life. And if we were just in application to take the place of Jerusalem as a symbol of our own lives, there might be people who fit that description. And you look on your life and you see a place where the walls have been broken down. There may be someone here this morning that feels a little insecure or unstable in your spiritual walk. You feel broken down. You've fallen victim to sinful habits or temptations. That's the ruin that's described here. There might be someone here this morning that is facing some sort of addiction or there's, there's something that you know the Bible says is clearly wrong, but it's something you can't seem to get past in your life. Maybe the walls of your city are broken down. Maybe you feel as though your gates are burned. Maybe there's scars in your life and you're just tired of trying. You feel shame. You feel that reproach, that embarrassment. Maybe there's someone in here today that has had a a bitter experience. Maybe you're not torn down by sin, but maybe you've been hurt by someone that you love or care about or someone that you look up to and you feel betrayed or that your life is sabotaged by that person. Left to be recluse. No desire for the the spiritual things and you just want to to get over it, but you're stuck in it for so long you just want to run and hide. No one can help you. No one can reach you. No one knows about it. I tell you, there's hope today. 
But as we look at this being a, a picture possibly of the life of a Christian, I also see it as a picture of the world that we live in. The society seemed to be thriving to you. Does our world seem to be on the up and up or on the decline? Does humanity seem to be improving or does it seem to be more and more of a mess? We understand today all of us are sinners. We can look at the book of Genesis, we see the fall of man. The Bible says from that moment forward all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And with the curse of sin, with the disease of sin that is on our world and on us as individuals, without Christ there is no hope. Book of John chapter 14 says there is only one way, that is Jesus Christ. There's nothing anybody can do to find righteousness outside of him. In him accomplishing that for them, there's nothing we can do. And because of the curse of sin, as we look at the world we live in, it's, we can't expect it to get better without Jesus. We can't expect things to get better without God being part of the lives of those that are in our world. And as we look at those around us, as we look at our community, as we look at at those people that we might care about, we may look and see people that are in need or people that are in trouble, families that need restored, relationships that need help, people that need victory over temptation. But as we look, we often just see a mess, don't we? Do you agree with me today there's a need? We see the need here in this passage, but then we get to verse 4 and we see the care. This is written from the perspective of Nehemiah. He's telling you what he's feeling. And he says here in verse 4, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days. When he heard these things, he was moved. His heart was broken for those people. And all all he could do at this moment was just sit there and weep. He he mourned for them. Anybody that knows anything about Nehemiah, he, he had a good thing going. He had probably the best job of any Israelite there under captivity. He was the cupbearer for the king. He was trusted by the king, the one that ruled that whole area. He was there, he was the one that would test his food or, or test his drinks. He was there, he was the one that heard all the conversations. He had the benefits, he had a good thing going. He had the finest of everything in life, but instead of being happy in his position and comfortable, his life was shattered and he was brought to his knees when he heard about the despair of his people. He deeply cared about them. That's compassion. And we should all pray to God today that we possess that same kind of compassion for those around us. Nehemiah asked an innocent question in verse 2, and as he heard the news, that was a pivotal moment in his life. The very fact that he cared about his own people is evidence that God had been working in his life, but as he hears this response, it just brings him to his knees before God. You know, God wanted to restore Jerusalem. We we look through the history of the children of Israel, we know what God desired for them. God desired for them to be blessed. He didn't want any of them to be in captivity. He didn't want any of them to to live that life that they were living and for their city to be in ruins as it was. But he needed a man to lead them. 
And this news from Jerusalem was God's call to Nehemiah to become involved in what God wanted him to do. What was needed in Jerusalem at this point? They needed protection. A a wall needed to be rebuilt. But that wall building didn't begin with the mixing of cement or the gathering of stones. It began with a burden in the heart of a man named Nehemiah. We understand the condition of society, don't we? We talk about it a lot. We watch the news, we see it, we see the the articles that are written, we see the things changing all around us. I don't think it's any secret to anyone where the world is headed. They're hurting. How are we responding to the people around us that are hurting? How are we responding to the fact that those that we come in contact with that are without Jesus are on their way to hell? How do we respond to that coworker that tells us about their marriage that's falling apart? How do, how do we respond to the great lack of peace or contentment in those people that we may care about in our life? How do we respond seeing some of the terrible homes that some of our young people are forced to grow up in and the way that they are being raised? How are we responding to those things? The only thing that can bring a true lasting change to anyone's life is Jesus. And if you are a Christian, there is a call on your life to do something with what you've been given. But we respond in different ways to that, don't we? There's some in here today, I know for for a fact, that respond eagerly to God's invitation. Just as God spoke to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, there's people here this morning whose hearts truly are saying, Here am I, God, send me. There's there's many Christians that are willing to do what God wants them to do. There's others like Jonah that may try to run from the call of God in their life or run from the duties or commands that God's given them. They go and hide. and, And just as Jonah was, you may find yourself miserable in your Christian life. Maybe there's some here that that see the vision and know what they are to do, but maybe we try to take things into our own hands or to limit ourselves to what we think we're capable of, just as Moses did over and over again in Exodus chapter 2 and 3. Moses gave God excuse after excuse after excuse as to why he wasn't the man. And God said, what is in thine hand? A rod. And God used what Moses had. To do incredible things. When God speaks, obey. Pray for compassion. What breaks your heart today? We can look at the children of our world. There's many kids that aren't getting the education they need. There's kids around us that have special needs that we're burden for. There's, there's kids all over the world that are constantly bullied or neglected or abused. There's many around us that we see often that are men and women that are bound by addiction. That are held hostage by drugs that are trapped in lust. Imprisoned. There's many impoverished people People without clean drinking water, and I'm not talking about Midland. I'm talking about places around the world without good water. People living with preventable diseases. 
There's people around the world that don't have the word of God in their own language still. What about the neighbors next door? You've heard them possibly from their house to yours arguing at night. You've heard the way they speak to their kids or the way their kids may speak to them. What about your unsafe coworker? Person that you see every day that you know is not trusting in God, that you know has never looked to God for salvation. That what about the person that works the counter at the grocery store that you can tell every time you, you see them, they, they're in a very confused state of mind by some of the things that they are doing. Does that break your heart? Do, do we have concern for them? Nehemiah heard what was said, he, he saw the need, and he cared. And then as we continue on in this text, we, we see some action coming from him. We then see the prayer. We look there in verse, the end of verse 3, and mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. He cared, and that care moved him to prayer and fasting. I, I, don't, I don't think... I, I, I think everybody here would be honest today that all of us would raise our hand and say we care about those needs. We care about people. If you're a Christian, God's instilled something within you to care for others or to to worry about those that don't have the blessings that you may have. All those, many of those things break our hearts today, but what do we do with those cares? Who are we living for? heard a story this week about a preacher that was over at the house of one of his church members for a Bible study. He stopped by, he wanted to share some truths with his, this family, and this young couple was a little surprised by it, and so the, the young mother, she called her, her son Johnny over, and she said, Johnny, we're about to talk with Pastor for a little bit, why don't you go to Mommy's room and get that book that Mommy loves to read? Can you go get Mommy's favorite book? And he said, yes, ma'am, and he ran to the room and he came back with People Magazine. What kind of book would your children bring? Our stated care and our actual cares don't always line up, do they? You know, Nehemiah didn't just feel the pain. He did something about it. He fasted. He prayed. He had this burden, and the only thing he knew to do at that moment was to seek God and to ask God to do something, and if it was possible for God to use him, he fasted, he prayed, he gave time to it. But we live live in a very fast-paced society, don't we? A busy world, we all have full schedules. There's this poem called Too Busy to Pray. It says, I got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish that I didn't take time to pray. Problems just tumbled about me and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me, I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided, why child, you didn't knock. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on gray and bleak. I wondered why God didn't show me. He answered, you didn't seek. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray.
I think everybody in here would agree with me today that prayer is important. As I've already said, all of us would admit that our world's problems are heavy. It's easy for us to see. But the day in which Nehemiah lived needed, and what the day in which each of us live in, are not people who just discuss all the problems of the world, who don't just discuss the problems of other families or our society, but people who get up and do something about those things. That is the need of the hour. And we find Nehemiah in this passage is falling on his face before God, begging God to do something, and he was willing to be used of God if God would allow him. And as Nehemiah went before God in prayer, he set this example for us and one that we should try to emulate. As he begins there in verse 5, praying to God, it was a prayer that began with praise. Something that we teach in prayer, the, the model prayer, Jesus started by acknowledging who his God was. In Nehemiah here in verse 5, he exalts God, he prays God for his superiority, he prays God for his strength, for his holiness, for his sincerity. He praised God for who he was. And that's what we should do. But he continued on quickly in this prayer, and it, it was not just a prayer that lifted God up, it was a prayer of determination. Look there in the middle of verse 6, he says, I pray before thee now, <coughs> day and night. He got down and he prayed and he continued to pray. And he continued to pray and he continued to pray. And if we were to look in, in chapter 2, verse 1, we look, it's the month Nisan. If we look at chapter 1, verse 1, we find it is the month Chislu. There is a five-month separation that all Nehemiah did was pray and seek God's will on this matter. He didn't just pray one time. He prayed for five months. And, and, and we need to be willing to pray the prayers that God would have us to pray and to stay before God until we get the answers we are seeking. That's what he instructed us to do. Those, those men that were at the prayer meeting on, on Tuesday night, it, the passage was preached out of Luke chapter 18. It says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Never stop praying. Continue to pray. Look to God. Don't, don't give up. Don't stop. Pray and pray and pray some more until God works in your life according to his will. Would you agree with me today that a true burden doesn't go away overnight? If a, if a young person, if this young man loves a, a young woman and, and goes home after that first date and says, I love her, I want to marry her, the next morning if he really loves her, he should feel that same way, right? True burden doesn't go away overnight. Prayer that is born out of a genuine burden cannot be satisfied until it's answered. There's a prayer of determination. There's also a prayer of repentance. There in verse 6 and 7, he prayed and he began to confess his sins as an individual and the sins of his people as a nation. He even confessed the sins of his fathers. We see a man that did not want things to continue like they were. There's a man with a repentant heart. And if, and if the, Bible tells us, the Bible tells us if we have sin in our heart, God won't hear us. Psalm 66, the Lord will not hear us. If there's iniquity in our heart, he won't listen to those prayers. 
It's easy for us to talk about other people's problems or to, about other people's needs, but Nehemiah was not just interested in talking about where others had gone wrong. He, had, he was also willing to see where he himself had, had, let, had missed the boat with God or had gone out of step with God. Repentance is about me getting my heart right with God. That's what repentance is. Turning from those things. It was also a prayer of awareness. There in verse 8, he was began recalling the promises God had made to his children. God had promised to punish their sins. That's why they were where they were. But God also promised, and we preached it not too long ago, he promised to restore them back to where he wanted them to be after true repentance. You know, in our prayers are based in the word of God and founded on the promises of God. The one that is praying can be sure he will have the things that he prayed for. Because God has staked his reputation on the accuracy of his words. We will not find faults in it. And he's promised us that what he has promised, he is able also to perform. And he hasn't failed us yet, has he? You know, Nehemiah, as he prayed to God, he reminded himself of the nature of God. He says, God, I know that you're a God of forgiveness. God, I know that you're a God of restoration. God, I know that you're a God of great power. As you pray today, as you pray this month in prayer and fasting month, claim the promises of God as you pray. Understand who it is that you are praying to and pray this morning, pray tomorrow believing that God can. Pray that God can can fill this church with people for his glory, not for ours. Pray that God can change the life of your loved one who has slipped away from God. Pray that God can soften even the hardest heart in this auditorium today. Pray that God can make a difference in the community that we live in. Claim his promises. I'm reminded of the prodigal son the story that Jesus told in the New Testament. This young man asked God, asked his father for his half of the inheritance, his portion. He went off and the Bible says he spent it all in riotous living and as everything had run out, he found himself feeding the pigs. What did he remember? He remembered that his father was good. He remembered from the, from the day he could remember that even the servants that his father had were treated well had a roof over their head, had food that they could eat. And what did he say? He says, if I could just go back and be a servant of my father, that's enough for me. He understood what his father had to offer. And what happened? He came back with just a desire to be a humble servant for his father, but his father welcomed him with open arms. His son had a feast for him. Regardless of where you are in your life right now, I can tell you, you have a, we have a God that is good. A God that is just, a God that is true to his word. And no matter where you are, you can claim those promises. It's a prayer of awareness of who God was. There's also a prayer of many. You look there in verse 11. Be attentive to the prayer of thy servant himself and to the prayer of thy servants. As Nehemiah prayed, he stated and acknowledged he wasn't the only one involved 
in this prayer effort for Israel. He said, God, hear all of them. He might have been the one destined to be the leader, but he knew that this was a part of a team effort in prayer, that everyone that could, everyone that should needed to be praying. I want to encourage you, when there's things going on in your life, get as many people involved in prayer as you can. There's power in it. Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 says, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that you shall ask, it shall be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. There's power in many. Let's pray together. One of the main reasons we're having this emphasis month this month is to start praying together more. To pray for each other more, to share requests, to share our needs, to, to pray and fast not just for ourselves but for our church, for our community. And I believe if we are a church that is praying to God, if we are praying together, if, God is, if all of us are bringing prayers before him, that God will work through us. All of us can make a difference. But it doesn't have to take all of us. It can start with one of us. As he prayed, there were three specific words that stuck out to me. That he prayed to happen in the lives of the Israelites that God had already promised. He was just bringing back the words that God had said. He says there in verse 9, God himself said, But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, that's what they needed to do. Turn, keep, and do. What we need to pray for is for the world to turn to God. What we need to pray for, for those that we love and we care about, those that have slipped from God, is for them to turn to God. What you need to do right now, if you're not in a place with God as you should be, whatever happened this week, whatever you've done, that doesn't matter anymore, it's in the past, you right now need to turn to God. Go back to him. Turn from what you've been doing or the mindset you've had and go towards God and look to him and focus on him and seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. We need to turn to him. And then he says not only turn but keep. Walk in what he said. Obey what he's commanded us to do. Do what the Bible says. Keep them. Hold on to them. Know them. Not just keep them and understand them and acknowledge them, but then do them. The Bible says in Ephesians, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Do what he said. Turn, keep, and do. Get to action. Live his purpose. That's what can change your life. And that's what can change the world. Are you burdened? Do you have cares for what we see happening around us? Pray. Pray. And pray again. There's many things I care about. I care about my wife. Remember the very first moments we we had together once I once I finally had the, the courage to go talk to her we we talked that very night I remember I wanted to marry her 
And because I cared about her, I went after her. Even with the, my lack of smoothness. I care about my kids. I got five of them. One of them's right here. If someone came in here right now and they said it's you or him, I, no hesitation. I care about him. I care about my friends. There's certain people in my life, if there was a need, I'd do everything I can to meet that need. I'd drop what I was doing to help them. I care about my sports teams. I'm going to go home here in just a little bit and watch the Colts. Yeah. You could go in my office and the back part of the office, you could see pictures and autographs that I've had over my life and I care about those teams. I care about those players enough. I just wanted to meet them and have a memory from that. I care about those things. And those things I care about brought me to action. We all say we care. Do you care enough to pray? Do you care enough to fast? Do you care enough today to witness? Do you care enough today to just to something as simple as invite someone to open house? I've shared many stories about D.L. Moody. I want to read what he wrote about how he was saved. He says, when I was in Boston, he was a young boy, he said, I used to attend a Sunday school class. And one day, I, re I recollect, my teacher came around behind the counter of the shop I was at work in and put his hand upon my shoulder and talked to me about Christ in my soul. I love what he said here. I had not felt that I had a soul till then. I said to myself, this is a very strange thing. Here is a man who never saw me till lately, and he is weeping over my sins. And I've never shed a tear about them. But I understand it now. And know what it is to have a passion for men's souls and weep over their sins. I don't remember what he said, but I can still feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder tonight. The concern of a Sunday school teacher to go to a shoe shop and walk to the other side of the counter to tell a young man that he needed Jesus impacted that man to go on with as many incapabilities as he had to lead a ministry that saw millions saved. Is your compassion enough to move you to action? How much do you care? Every head bowed, every eye closed.